a lot of nearers in that song. Well, glad you came tonight. Glad you made the long trek over. <laughs> How about First Samuel chapter 26 tonight? First Samuel chapter 26. When you find your place, have you stand? We'll read some of the scripture. See what the Lord has for us tonight. I'm preaching through the book of First Samuel. It's been a blessing. It has been enlightening. Well, no doubt many of you, if not all, have read through the book of 1 Samuel in your Bible reading. It's, uh, it's another thing to go ahead and drop it down a gear or two and slow down and just kind of work through it. All right, let's begin reading here. Just follow along here. The Bible said in uh, 1 Samuel 26, 1, And the Ziphites came unto Saul to Gibeah, saying, Doth not David hide himself in the hill of Akilah, which is before Jeshimon. Then Saul arose and went down to the wilderness of Ziph, having 3,000 chosen men of Israel with him to seek David in the wilderness of Ziph. And Saul pitched in the hill of Akilah, which is before Jeshimon, by the way. But David abode in the wilderness, and he saw that Saul came after him into the wilderness. David therefore sent out spies and understood that Saul was come in very deed. And David arose and came to the place where Saul had pitched, and David beheld the place where Saul lay, and Abner the son of Ner, uh, the captain of his host, and Saul lay in the trench, and the people pitched round about him. Then answered David and said to him, like the Hittite, and to Abishai, the son of Zeruiah, brother to Joab, saying, Who will go down with me to Saul of the camp? And Abishai said, I will go down with thee. So David and Abishai came to the people by night, and behold, Saul lay sleeping within the trench, and his spear stuck in the ground at his bolster. But Abner and the people lay round about him. Then said Abishai to David, God hath delivered thine enemy in thy hand this day. Now therefore let me smite him, I pray thee, with the spear even to the earth at once, and I'll not smite him the second time. And David said to Abishai, chill out, man. <laughs> he said, destroy him not, for who can stretch forth his hand against the Lord's anointed? And be guiltless. David said, Furthermore, as the Lord liveth, the Lord shall smite him, or his day shall come to die, or he shall descend into battle and perish. The Lord forbid that I should stretch forth mine hand against the Lord's anointed, but I pray thee, take not out of the spear that is at his bolster and the cruise of water, and let us go. So David took the spear and the cruise of water from Saul's bolster, and they get of them away, and no man saw it nor knew it, neither awaked, for they were all asleep, because a deep sleep from the Lord was fallen upon them. Brother Cole, why don't you ask the Lord's help in the preaching tonight? Amen. Thank you. you. May be seated. Now here in chapter 26, Saul has been tipped off by the Ziphites again and is after David again. And here he comes with 3,000 chosen men. 
sounds kind of like second verse, same as the first, a little bit louder and a little bit worse. The last time this took place, uh, if you recall, around uh, chapter 24, David got a little punchy. Uh, That's just a word I use, and he was in the, the cave, and uh, you know Saul was doing his business there in the cave, and uh, Saul, I think David got a little punchy there and cut off uh, his skirt, which is kind of funny if you're a, a fundy and think that every gal's got to wear a skirt, amen, and then their king was wearing a skirt, amen. That, that's funny, I don't care who you are. Uh, but David gets a little punchy and cuts off a part of Saul's skirt at the suggestion of his men. You know, when you hang around with a bunch of fanatics, uh, you got to be careful, amen? You, you hang around with a bunch of fire-breathing fanatics that actually want to do something for the Lord. You have to be careful because you'll, uh, next thing you know, you'll be doing something crazy. And what happened is uh, the Lord ended up dealing with David on that. Now we see David coming through this similar situation again with a little bit different outlook. The thing about David that I see in this chapter, and as I see ever since uh, chapter 16 and verse 11 when uh, David was anointed king, uh, he's growing. And David is continuing to grow, and David's tender to what God wants him to do. And as we go through the Christian life, I'm thankful the Lord gives us more chances to do right when we don't do right the first time. And that's what I see. The Lord's given David another chance to do right by this thing. And uh, here's the test, and the test is that Saul is definitely David's enemy. And here the test is, uh, David, are you willing to give Saul to the Lord? And uh, the last test, uh, David, he, he passed it and that he didn't kill him, but David kind of made sure he put his imprint on the thing and say, I could have I off with your head just like that. But the, here's the, the test and the question now for you this, uh, this evening is are you willing to give your enemies to the Lord? I believe David has come to the place where he's willing to give it all to the Lord. I believe David's just about to the place here where he's ready to give his enemies to the Lord. And if you and I are going to give our enemies to the Lord, and listen, if you can't say that I really don't have any enemies, don't go try to make some amen. Just live for God and you'll have plenty of enemies. You will. All you got to do is stand and just continue to stand and uh, you'll have plenty of enemies. But if you're going to give it all to the Lord and give your enemies to the Lord and let him have his way in your life, guess what? You're going to have to deal with some very similar things that you see here in chapter number 26. I'm going to preach you this passage, this chapter today, with that thought in mind, being willing to give your enemies to the Lord. And you've got to remember that if you're doing what God wants you to, he's got your back. Amen? And you see, even David, when he goes down to the camp there, uh, David was protected. And you even see in the passage that deep sleep is on all the men of Israel. So David was God's man, going to be God's king eventually. uh, If he just be patient and just pass the test and keep going day at a time. And you see that. But uh, if you're going to give your enemies to the Lord, and that's the thought I want to kind of preach through tonight. And I want you to see here, if you're going to do that and you're going to be willing to do that, I don't know if you are uh, today or not. But if you are, the first thing I see here in verse number one, you're just going to have to learn as a Christian to deal with some goofy brethren. Amen? I'm going to be real with you. You're just going to have to learn to deal with some goofy brethren. You say, that's not very good Bible preaching. Well, you do any better. Amen? Help yourself. But you're going to have to learn to deal with some goofy brethren. Look here in verse 1. The Bible says, And the Ziphites came unto Saul 
to Gibeah, saying, Doth not David hide himself in the hill of Hekelah, which is before Jeshimon? You say, I, I don't see any goofy brethren there. Now, the Ziphites, I think they're just, they're goofy. You say, why they're goofy? Because they're doing the devil's work for them. And uh, you'll find brethren all different stripes, and some have stripes uh, that have weird different sources, and some have stripes right up their back, yellow, just like Highway 55, amen. But we're not preaching about that, but you're going to have to deal with the goofy brethren, and the Ziphites are David's brethren. You find that out in Joshua chapter 15. They're from the tribe of Judah. And you know what Ziph means? I said, oh, yes, yeah, so we all know what Ziph means, of course. No, you don't. <laughs> I'll tell you. Ziph means uh, the mouth or mouthful. <laughs> it means this mouth. Uh, it means flowing. And I got to thinking about this thing. The devil always have a mouthpiece, won't he? You say, so what's the big deal about these goofy brethren? Well, you see it right here. In, uh, you see it two places where the Ziphites, uh, they just can't keep their mouth shut. You've got 1 Samuel chapter 23, verse 19 is the other place that these Ziphites are ratting out David's location. And let me tell you what, over there in Revelation chapter 12, 10, you've got to remember this. The Bible says that the devil, he is the accuser of our brethren. Amen? And what happens in the Christian life is you'll, uh, you'll get to uh, hanging around some Christians or you'll get to know some Christians. And it's not that just they're goofy, but they're doing the devil's handiwork for him. And they'll start accusing you to other people. They're going to do it. Uh, they, won't, they, won't, they won't understand why you do what you do. Or they'll talk about why you went somewhere, you did something. You know what that is? You're just a stinking ziphite is what you are. Amen? You're just goofy. And you got nothing else better to do, so you got to talk about the brethren. <laughs> is this too practical tonight? <laughs> I'm saying if you're going to learn to give your enemies to the Lord, you're just going to have to learn like David did to put up with goofy brethren. And there's a lot of goofy Christians, amen? Face it, you're goofy. I mean, you're different. You're an odd duck. As one preacher said, uh, at least you're on the right bolt because you're so nutty. Right? So I'm just saying the Ziphites are David's brethren, and that thing means this mouth, mouthful or flowing. And what you have to take away from this is the devil will always have a mouthpiece when you're trying to serve the Lord. The devil will always find some Christian wanting to talk garbage or talk slap or whatever it is and try to get you all fired up. And you know what David does about the Ziphites? Nothing. Nothing. Now that's something you and I can learn from. Next time you hear someone running you down or talking about you, you say, what should I do? Nothing. Don't even worry about it. Amen. I mean, hey, at least if they're talking about you, they're not running someone else down, amen. What a blessing that is. I mean, if you got big enough britches to handle all the Ziphites running there yet, praise the Lord. Don't worry about it. Just don't be a Ziphite. Say, what did the Ziphites do in the Bible? They went and yacked to Saul where David was. What would they do after that? You never hear from them again. They're just a mouthpiece for the devil. Amen. You know what some Christians are? They're just a stinking mouthpiece for the devil. Amen? I don't know where that's supposed to go, but there's another gear I feel like I could grab on that thing and hang on to it, but we'll just let it go. You're going to have to learn if you're going to give your enemies to the Lord. David did nothing about it. He didn't go tear up the town. You know, I mean, when Gideon, and he went uh, uh, to Penuel, 
He's like, hey, you know, give him something to drink, give him something to eat. And they're like, no, we don't know you. Who are you, man? Get away. He's like, when I come back, I'm going to mop the floor with you. That's the <laughs> JEV version, right? <laughs> and he come back and taught him with thorns and briars, the Bible says. But uh, David was better than He's like, yeah, whatever. Let the Ziphites, let them, let them yak. Yakety, yak, yak, yak. A lot of Christians are good at yakking. A lot of Christians are good at running their mouth. They got nothing to do. They can't stand who they are. They don't like their life, so they got to ruin everybody else's. Amen? That's it. And I'm just saying, if you're going to learn to give your enemies to the Lord, you're going to have to learn to deal with goofy brethren. Amen? You're going to have to do it. Now, let me show you this thing in number four. If you're going to learn to give your enemies to the Lord, and everybody's going to have enemies, and you got them, you just don't know it yet. I mean, I haven't lived for 48 years and without enemies. I got enemies. I remember Dr. Ruckman said, uh, he said, uh, I want to say he said it in his 80s, late 80s, probably even in his 90s. He says, my entire ministry, he said, you know what it's been composed of? <laughs> he said, running from my enemies. <laughs> and uh, I didn't think anything of that until I got a few amen. And say, what do you do? I just run from my enemies now. And that's what David's doing. Now, I'll give you this here, number two. If you're going to learn to give the, your enemies to the Lord, look at verse number four. Uh, and here's a picture. Here's a type. Uh, you're going to have to learn to go to the throne continually. You're going to have to learn to go to the throne continually. Notice here in verse four, the Bible said, David therefore sent out spies and understood. Now, that's a picture. Now, I'm going to give you just a couple things here. It's a picture of time and prayer. He said over there in Numbers 13, uh, verse 16, you know what Moses did? He went out and he spied out the land. That's a picture of you going to the Lord in prayer. And if you're going to learn to give your enemies to God, you're going to have, you know what you're going to have to do? You're going to have to make sure you go to the throne. Make sure you go to the throne. Make sure you take time in prayer. And you know what also it is? A picture of you waiting on God. Waiting on God, not charging into a thing. Uh, David, uh, he was strong enough. Uh, he was wily enough. He, was, uh, he had enough red blood in his veins. He could have took all 600 men and probably mopped the floor of those 3,000. There's no doubt about it. David and his mighty men. You say, well, they weren't quite mighty yet. I'll give you that. Maybe they weren't quite defined yet. But let me tell you what, uh, they sure did exploits on later. You know what I mean? And uh, you're going to have to learn to go to the throne continually. It's a picture of waiting on God. The Bible says in Isaiah chapter 40, Verse 31, but they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. Uh, they shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. That's a picture of you sending spies. You know how you spy out the land? You get on your knees and you get a hold of God. You know why sometimes you get caught off guard and you can't handle your own enemies? You don't go to the throne enough. Now, you take that thing over there in 1 Kings chapter 18, verse 41 to 46, you know, and uh, I'll just read it here. The Bible says, And Elijah said unto Ahab, Get thee up, eat and drink, for there is a sound of abundance of rains. So you know, as that just had the whole showdown at Mount Carmel there, killed all those prophets, seen as up there, it's still drier than cracker juice. The Lord burned up the sacrifice with fire. Verse 42, the Bible says, So Ahab went up to eat and drink, and Elijah went up to the top of Carmel, and he cast himself down upon the earth and put his face between his knees. You know what he's doing? He's going to the throne room. He's getting a hold of God. Verse 43, and he said to a servant, Go up now toward the sea. And he went up and looked and said, There's nothing. And he said, Go again seven times. And that's what I want you to realize. He kept telling that servant, Go back, go back, go back seven times. 
And if you're going to go ahead and deal with your enemies the way God wants you to, you're going to have to keep going. You're going to have to keep going and looking. You say, what am I looking for? <laughs> you look, you're looking for God's grace to help you deal with it. And you're looking for that little cloud. That's a picture of God. That's a hand of God. And that's what you need. Uh, prayer is important. I could, don't need to preach on prayer, but maybe I do need to preach on prayer. Uh, Talmadge said back in 1871, the Prince of Wales was, was all down uh, with typhoid fever. And uh, thank the Lord we don't have typhoid fever around anymore. It uh, tied your guts up in knots. It was extremely painful, and it would kill you. But uh, Talmadge says with the Prince of Wales, worse and worse the case until the official bulletin announced that he would not survive three hours. Talmadge says, meanwhile, his queenly mother was at prayer, and all England was at prayer, cathedral and coal shaft, house of lords and factory operatives, the mighty and the mean at prayer, and the tides of life which have been going on so rapidly suddenly began to rise, and the Prince of Wales got well. You say, why? Went to the throne. Went to the throne. If you're going to learn to give your enemies to God, you've got to keep going to the throne. You've got to keep sending out the spies. You've got to keep sending out the spies. Now notice this in verse 5, when you do this, you keep sending out the spies, you know what it does? It produces boldness. Verse 5, the bosses and David arose and came to the place where Saul had pitched. There's no fretting, there's no nervousness, there's no planning. It's like he sent the spies, he got the intel, he arose and went. No hesitation, that's boldness, that's boldness. Well, that's the first two things, if you're going to learn to give your enemies to God, and everyone's got enemies. Uh, you're fooling yourself today if you don't think you have enemies. And if you honestly don't have enemies, then you're not a good Christian. Now, like I'm saying, I'm not saying go out and make some. All you got to do is live for God, and you'll have some. Amen. But you know what? Number three, you're going to have to learn in the Christian life. If you're going to give your enemies to God, you're going to have to learn to garner some support. Look at verse 6. Now, that means work with other people. <laughs> you're going to have to learn to garner some support. Verse 6, uh, David says to these two individuals, he says, Who will go down with me to Saul to the camp? <laughs> Everybody's got to learn to work with other people. That's probably one of the hardest things in the Christian life. Why? Because ain't nobody does it like you do it. Amen? Just ask you. <laughs> Amen. Now I want you to notice in the passage here, verse number 6, you have to realize that in the Christian life, you're trying to work with other people, you need to remember that some Christians, some brethren, will never volunteer. They'll never volunteer. All right? I'm trying to help you out tonight. You need to stop getting worried about people that don't want to help out and don't want to volunteer fight the battle. You've got two people there, and David said, who go down with me? And one said, no, sir, I ain't a going. And the other one said, I will go down with thee. You see it in the passage right there in verse 6. One, uh, you've got to realize that some brethren will never volunteer, even though they should, right? That's the first thing I see about that. That fellow, Ahimelech the Hittite, uh, he knows that he should be helping. You say, why? Well, first of all, he's a Hittite. Uh, that's, part of the, uh, that's part of the Hamites. That's serving a servant. So you know what? You know, as a Christian, you're a servant. You should be a servant. Jesus Christ, he's your Savior. He's your brother. And uh, he became a servant for you and I. We should be servants. Amen. I could preach that all day long, and that's still true. But some people will never volunteer even though they know that they're a bond slave to Jesus Christ. That's the truth. So you can't get worked up about that stuff. Not only that, even though they know they should serve, even though they dress the part of a soldier. 
There are some Christians that will never volunteer. They will never serve the Lord. And guess what? They still are saved. Can I just remind you, I'm sure you all know this, but if you're saved, you do not have to serve Jesus Christ. Some of you are about ready to throw up when I say that. You know, the funny thing about grace is God, He has a, a amazing grace and He saves us by His grace and we're saved and then He turns around and He gives you your life back. Here you go, do what you want with it. That's what He does. You know what religion says? Oh no, you have to do this. You have to do that. You know what the Lord says? Uh, do it if you love me. But if you don't, don't worry about it. Exodus 21, right? I love my master. I love my wife. I love my children. I will not go out free. So it's your life. Do what you want with it. If you love Jesus Christ and serve him forever. But there's some brethren they'll never serve. How about this one? Verse number six. There's some brethren who will always volunteer. <laughs> Amen. I believe I'm looking at some brethren tonight that will always volunteer. You say, preacher, I have a limit. I'm sure you do. And that, of course, is Abishai. He's a great picture of a uh, Bible believer that loves the Lord and has got the right motive for service. But notice this. I'll give you a couple of references here. You can write them down or look them up later. You know, Abishai volunteers to take off a fellow's head named Shimei in 2 Samuel 16, 9. He said, David, let me kill him. That's what he says. Uh, he volunteers again for the same duty three chapters later in 2 Samuel 19, 21. Uh, Abishai, he voluntarily steps up and kills Ishbibinab in 2 Samuel 21, 17. He is right there when David needs him, and he's right there when David doesn't need him. That's a great kind of guy. I mean, he always wants to swing the sword. I mean, he thinks the answer is swinging the sword or chucking the spear. That's a good fellow right there. And he volunteers finally again in 1 Chronicles chapter 11, verse 20. The Bible says, and he lift up his spear against 300 and slew them. I'm still trying to process. Was I, I'm like, was that like one really good throw, Lord? And he's like, no, probably not. Probably like took a few hours, you know. <laughs> you know, <laughs> like he was supercharged, you know. But at any rate, uh, I mean, this guy was always wanting to take care of David. He was always wanting to take care of business. If you looked at David wrong, he wanted to cut your head off. And if you said anything about him, he wanted to take you out. Not like for coffee, but like to the graveyard. So some brethren will always volunteer. Amen? Those, those, uh, I like those brethren. I do. I mean, they, they're encouraging. They're edifying to be around. But notice this. That not only are there some brethren that won't volunteer, there are some brethren that always volunteer. And then there's some brethren that just go a little crazy. I, I, we're talking about the same guy here. Look at verse uh, 8. Now therefore let me smite him, I pray thee, with the spear, even to the earth at once. And what's he say? He says this. He says, uh, and I'll not smite him a second time, right? Is that what he says? <laughs> I, mean, I mean, sometimes brethren go a little bit crazy with that stuff. Now, wouldn't you rather have a guy on your side that wanted to kill everything, or would you rather have someone that wanted to politic every time something came up? I'd rather have a guy ready to get right down to business and work the thing out and have to first John one night at later instead of go, I'm not sure. Next thing you know, you're part of the Southern Baptist Convention or something. You know what I mean? 
And that's just why I see that thing. But at any rate, you have to realize, and this is what I want you to see in verse 8. Some brethren will go a little crazy. What you have to be careful of is you have to realize that unbridled zeal can mistake opportunities as orders from God. In verse 8, the Bible says, God hath delivered thine enemy into thine hand this day. Let me smite him. Because God's done this, therefore, let me do this. <laughs> he mistakes he mistakes an opportunity as an order from God. And what I want to tell you here in verse 8 is ambition can be deadly if left unchecked. Uh, you know it will ruin a man? Uh, a man can be ruined by his own ambition. Uh, he can be so zealous and so fired up uh, that he just sees everything as an opportunity to kill everything. And that's not always good. But you know what? Uh, David checks himself instead of going it alone. David sends out the spies first. There was David's ambition under check. And uh, you say what you want about Abishai. He's a little bit crazy. Amen. Uh, but at least he asks David. He just doesn't stick him, right? You know, the, the passage could uh, read, and Abishai stuck him under the fifth rib and then asked David if he could do it. No, at least he asked David, can I, can I kill him? And David's like, no, you're not going to kill him. Knock it off, you know. But uh, you have to be careful that uh, ambition can be deadly if left unchecked. Amen. And David checks himself instead of going alone. I see that. He's going to the throne. He's sending out the spies. He's learning to deal with goofy brethren. He's growing up. He's growing up. And, but you always have to remember in the Christian life, and especially in a local church setting, and you always have to remind yourself this or else you get frustrated. You and I, we are volunteers. <laughs> I don't care how good you are at what you do. We are simply volunteers, and everyone has a different idea what a volunteer is. And you can't force volunteers to do things a certain way. You cannot regulate people. You cannot regulate how they dress, how they sit, how they sing, how long they stay. When they get tired, they're going to do what they want to do. And I'm just saying you have to remember in the Christian life, we are all volunteers for the Lord Jesus Christ. And we're working with volunteers, and I want to tell you that. Because as we grow, and as you grow in the Lord, you're going to work side by side with other volunteers. And their idea of volunteering might not be what yours is. So you've got to have grace. You've got to back off and give them to the Lord. They're not your enemy. Don't confuse the message with the illustration there. But notice not only that, you've got a couple, two, three things here. But I'll give you number four here in verses 9 through 11. If you're going to have to learn to give your enemies to the Lord, you're going to have to, uh, you'll, you'll be definitely be tempted to get ahead of God. You'll be tempted to get ahead of God along the way. Uh, notice here in verse 9 that uh, David very much was tempted to get ahead of God, but I see him passing the test. And he passes the test because, first of all, David recognizes Saul's position. Verse 9, he says, Destroy him not, for who can stretch forth his hands against the Lord's anointed? You know who David knows Saul belongs to? He knows that Saul belongs to the Lord. You see the possessiveness there? The Lord's anointed. The Lord put him in that place, and David recognizes Saul's position. 
I wonder if you recognize your position in Jesus Christ. Sometimes we don't understand who we are in the Lord. We have like an identity crisis and we get frustrated with one another. Do you understand who you are in the Lord? Do you understand one another's position? David recognized Saul's position. He belonged to the Lord. He says, destroy him not, for who can stretch forth his hand against the Lord's anointed and be guiltless? Not only that, but I want you to see here in verse 10, David respects Saul as a person. You and I live in a very fierce generation. Fierce. Um, you do something wrong, you, you take my pie plate or you take my, I don't know why I always say that. It's funny, but, you know, you, take my, you took my favorite coffee cup or, you know, you didn't, you didn't invite me to, I don't know, make pickles at your funeral or something. Whatever, I don't know. I, I'm coming up with terrible. You know, you can figure out Christians get so offended so easily. I do too, and so do you. You can laugh, but you get offended too. You get offended at your own family members. You didn't pick up your socks. I never pick up my socks. Well, start. Okay, well, it takes 30 years to do some things sometimes. You know what I mean? But... Uh, but David recognizes Saul's position, and David respects Saul as a person. And one thing I believe missing from the house of God many times, the more we get to know each other is respect. Respect as a person. Verse 10, the Bible said, David said, Furthermore, as the Lord liveth, the Lord shall smite him, or his day shall come to die, or he shall descend into battle and perish. You know what he's saying? <laughs> I ain't messing with that guy. Uh, he can go ahead and knock off some other place, or the Lord can knock him off, or he can go die in battle, but it ain't happening by my hands. And I believe David respects Saul as a person. Um, stop and think about David's predicament. He didn't ask to be anointed. And back in 25, uh, we saw in the passage, uh, he is anointed, but he's not yet appointed. So he's a king in exile, just like Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is king, but he's in exile right now. He's coming back to get what's rightfully his, and David is now patiently <laughs> awaiting what is rightfully his, and there's an imposter on the throne. You know what you have right now? You have the God of this world. He's an imposter, and he's on the throne of this world. He's got the whole world. Yeah, sure he does, buddy. <laughs> you see what I mean? The God of this world. It's an imposter. But he respects, David respects Saul as a person. And not only that, I want you to see in verse 11, I want you to see that David relinquishes his pliability to the Lord. And verse 11, the Bible says, The Lord forbid that I should stretch forth mine hand against the Lord's anointed. And David was pliable. And let me say this, I've said this before, but God will never use a man he can't control. God will never use a woman he can't control. And that's why some guys and some gals have a real hard time and they run around, they're frustrated all the time. And God can't control them. God can't control their big mouth. And God can't control their dumb actions. And God's not going to use you if he can't control you. Amen? But David relinquishes his pliable. He's pliable. He says, the Lord forbid that I should stretch forth mine hand against the Lord's anointed. And uh, G. Campbell Morgan said this, Waiting for God is not laziness. Waiting for God is not going to sleep. Waiting for God is not the abandonment of effort. 
Waiting for God means first, activity under command. Second, readiness for any new command that may come. Third, and probably the most important thing, the ability to do nothing until the command is given. And you know what David was? He was pliable. He's like, I'm going to kill that guy. <laughs> God didn't tell me to do that. The Lord forbid that I should smite him. <laughs> and, uh, but he, I'll tell you what, if you're going to learn to give your enemies to God, as David is, you'll be tempted to get all this. is the second time. I mean, they could have put that sucker right out of his misery. And you know what? He still wouldn't have got the throne if he had done it that way. It would have been a coup. It would have been a rebellion. The Lord don't work that way. I'll give you number five here. You're going to learn to give your enemies to the Lord. You're going to have to try to keep making things right with the brethren. Look at verse 19. When he finally gets a hold of Saul there, across the way, look what he says. Let my Lord the king hear the words of his servant. You see how he's approaching him? You need to keep trying to make things right with the brethren. Well, you know, that's just the way they are. Uh, they'll never change. Okay. Yeah, but are you still growing in grace? Okay, one person is. The rest of you aren't. Are you still growing in grace? Would you suppose that maybe they're still growing in grace too? So you're going to have to give other people the benefit of the doubt, right? You're going to have to keep trying to make things right with other people if the opportunity presents itself. Now, that's a hard thing. Now, we're not talking about you every time you see somebody like sandpaper trying to rip a scab off a wound. But you're going to have to learn to keep trying to make things right with the brethren if you have the opportunity. Notice here in verse 19 that David's polite in a speech. He says in verse 19, Now therefore I pray thee, let my lord the king hear the words of his servant. He's asking. He's being polite. You know what he could have said? Hey, stupid, why are you chasing me across the wilderness? Haven't you wasted enough of Israel's money? Haven't you exhausted the coffers? He could have been a real jerk about it. You know, as Bible believers, we're really good at that. We're really good at taking the worst possible situation and just being acerbic and just so vitriolic because we have the truth. Bless God, everyone's an idiot, and I've got the truth, so I must be not an idiot. No, you're an idiot too, amen? What I'm saying is David is polite in his speech. You know, uh, the old saying is this, you attract more flies with uh, honey than you do vinegar. Amen? I understand there's other things that attract flies too, but honey's a good way to do it. <laughs> Notice here he's polite in his speech, and in verse 19, David is permissive to hear the other side. Now here's one none of us are good at, I don't think. Verse 19, the Bible says, If the Lord has stirred thee up against me, let him accept an offering. You know what David's trying to do? He's been waiting for this moment to try to get this thing right. He's got 3,000 witnesses all around him. It's a perfect courtroom setting. You see what I mean? He's got 3,000 chosen men, the best, the most valiant, the bravest men that would probably <laughs> eventually drop their uh, allegiance with Saul at a heartbeat and go with David. But he's permissive to hear the other side. He says, if the Lord have stirred thee up against me, let him accept an offering. He's willing to take the blame right now, even though in my heart of hearts, I'm pretty sure David think, I ain't done nothing wrong, man. But if I have, let me at least follow the law and give you an offering if the Lord actually stirred you up against me. He's trying to make it right. He's trying to do things the right way. But David is polite in his speech. He's permissive to hear the other side. And notice here in verse 19, he is yet pointed in his stand. Verse 19, he says, But if they be the children of men, 
Cursed be they before the Lord. He's getting fired up now. For they have driven me out this day from abiding in the inheritance of the Lord, saying, Go, serve other gods. David is not happy hopping around in the wilderness. He wasn't like Jeremiah Johnson or, or what's that, uh, you know, one, one show, everyone, you know, Alaska mountain man, oh, I'm okay. David wasn't happy in the wilderness. He had to find happiness in the cave. He had to find, get a hold of God in the wilderness. He's like, God, look, if the Lord stirred you up against me, let me at least do what the law says I can do to make it right. And if what you're hearing is from men, look, this ain't right. Very pointed in the stand. But through all this, let me give you number six. If you're going to learn to give your enemies to the Lord, you're going to have to learn to stay humble. Look at verse 20. David says, for the king of Israel is come out to seek a flea, as one when one doth hunt a partridge in the mountains. Now David's being real. He's a pretty humble fellow. He's like, you brought you know, all the king's horses and all the king's men after me. And you know what David knew? David knew he was nobody. And you know, without the Lord Jesus Christ and the filling of the Holy Spirit, you're nobody. And I'm nobody. Ain't nobody anybody. Jesus Christ is everybody. You got to learn to stay humble. You could have the highest platform and all the education, smarter than everybody and a better chance. Let me tell you what, if you're here today, you you have a better chance to serve the Lord than most people ever will. I mean, to whom much is given, much shall be required. But he had to stay humble. He says, for the king of Israel has come out to seek a flea. You know what? In James 4.10, I was thinking, you've got to stay low so you can grow. You've got to stay low so you can grow. The Bible says, humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he shall lift you up. You can never go wrong, Christian, just getting low, especially when things fall apart. When things fall apart, just get low. Just, just, just get low. Just get right on the ground, not only in your position with the Lord, but your position with others. Too many Christians these days, they're too big for their britches. 1 Peter 5, 6, the Bible says, Humble yourselves, therefore, to the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you. In due time, and the problem is a lot of Christians want to be exalted. And many times in your life and in my life, it's, it's just not time. He wants us low. He wants us humble. And it's much better to humble ourselves than to have the Lord do it for us. Well, I'll give you this one here. A truly humble man is hard to find. Amen? <laughs> Booker T. Washington was, as you know, the renowned black educator. He was an outstanding example of being humble. This account here says, shortly after he took over the presidency of Tuskegee Institute in Alabama, he was walking in an exclusive section of town and he was stopped by a wealthy white woman. Not knowing the famous Mr. Washington by sight, she asked him if he would like to earn a few dollars by chopping wood for her. Because he had no pressing business at the moment, history says Professor Washington smiled, rolled up his sleeves, and proceeded to do the humble chore she had requested. When he was finished, he carried the logs into the house and stacked them by the fireplace. A little girl recognized him and later revealed his identity to the lady. <laughs> the next morning, the embarrassed woman went to see Mr. Washington in his office at the Institute and apologized profusely. It's perfectly all right, madam, he replied. Occasionally, I enjoy a little manual labor. 
Besides, it's always a delight to do something for a friend. She shook his hand warmly and assured him that his meek and gracious attitude had endeared him and his work to her heart. Not long after, she showed her admiration by persuading some other wealthy white people to join her in donating thousands of dollars to the Tuskegee Institute. <laughs> Amen. Stay humble. I mean, now it'd be like, who do you think you are? <laughs> Let me give you a last one here. If you're going to give the Lord your enemies, you know what you're going to have to do? You're going to have to remember that you will, uh, you will see the Lord bring you through it safely. You will see the Lord bring you through it safely. Look at verse 25. After all is said and done, notice what Saul says to David. <laughs> Blessed be thou, my son David. <coughs> David hears Saul's blessing in verse 25. Blessed be thou, my son David. You know who else also hears all this stuff? Those 600 men hear that. Those 3,000 men hear that. They hear the king blessing Little old flea David. Not all that, but David hears Saul's praises. Look at verse 25. Thou shalt do great things. Thou shalt do great things. And uh, I want you to notice here in verse 25, David hears Saul admit defeat. David hears Saul admit defeat. He says, and also shalt prevail. You see that? He's talking about the kingdom is what he's doing. And Saul knows it. And would you know, Christian, these are the last words that Saul ever says to David. These are the last words. And you know what comes out of his mouth? Blessing and praise and admit of defeat. You also see back here, what is it in verse 24? If you, uh, verse, 23, verse 21, then said Saul, I have sinned. You see that? He admits a sin. Now he should have admitted it to God. But he admitted it to David. But in the picture, David's a type of Jesus Christ. I want you to see the Lord will bring you through it safely. Now as chapter 26 closes, I can't help but hear Saul groveling like a two-year-old. It couldn't get any clearer what's going on. The Lord is on David like a fan, and the Lord is not within a million miles of Saul. David is obedient, yet Saul is disobedient. David has an excellent spirit, and Saul has an evil spirit from the Lord. David is pleasant to his men, while Saul is demanding and degrading them. Saul is unbendable, while David is still pliable. David is simply everything that Saul isn't. And as David gives his enemies to the Lord, his enemies end up singing the praises of David. So, Christian, whether or not we ever get the spotlight, we ever get the praises, we ever get the blessing like David did, the Lord still expects us to give our enemies to him so he can do with them as he sees fit. And when we do that, you know what we allow him to do? We leave the workings to him, we leave the outcome to him, and we leave the entire process to God. And what happens to us is we become that vessel that comes forth for the finer. Second Timothy chapter 2.21, the Bible says, If a man therefore purge himself from these, he shall be a vessel unto honor, sanctified and meet for the master's use, and prepared unto every good work. And you know why we be he became the vessel for the finer? Because David became that vessel that was forged out of affliction. He wasn't forged out of his own doings. And you know what the Lord's trying to do to some of you tonight? He's trying to forge you out of affliction. And every trouble that comes along your way, he wants to give you an opportunity. Are you going to give it to him? Or are you going to try to do it yourself?
And uh, I just want to encourage you tonight. You can go ahead and give it all to God. Give it all to Him. And if you don't have direction to do anything about it, then don't do anything about it. Just wait on God. All right, why don't you stand?